Chapter Twenty Two of the Sign of Silence by William Lequeux. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter Twenty Two, Marie Brock. Marie Brack, The name rang in my ears in the express all the way from Colchester to Liverpool Street. Just before six o'clock, I alighted from a taxi in Scotland Yard and, ascending in the lift, soon found myself sitting with Inspector Edwards. At that moment I deemed it judicious to tell him nothing regarding my night adventure in the country, except to say, well, I've had a strange experience, the strangest any man could have, because I have dared to investigate on my own account the mystery of Harrington Gardens. Oh, tell me about it, Mr. Royal, he urged, leaning back in his chair before the littered writing-table. There's nothing much to tell, was my reply. I'll describe it all some day at present there's no time to waste i believe i am correct in saying that the name of the murdered girl is marie brack edwards looked me straight in the face that's not an english name is it he said no belgian i should say belgian yes most probably he said a rather uncommon name and one which ought not to be difficult to trace how did you find this out oh it's a long story mr edwards i said but I honestly believe that at last we are on the scent. Cannot you discover whether any girl of that name is missing? Of course, I'll wire to the Brussels police at once. Perhaps it will be well to ask the prefect of police in Paris if they have any person of that name reported missing, he said, and ringing a bell, a clerk appeared almost instantly with a writing pad and pencil. Wire to Brussels and Paris, and ask if they have any person named Marie Brack, be careful of the spelling, missing. If so, we will send them over a photo. Yes, sir, the man replied, and disappeared. Well, I asked casually when we were alone, have you traced the tailor who made the dead girl's costume? Not yet. The Italian police are making every inquiry. And what have you decided regarding that letter offering to give information? Nothing, was his prompt reply. And if this information you have obtained as to the identity of the deceased proves correct, we shall do nothing. It will be far more satisfactory to work out the problem for ourselves, rather than risk being misled by somebody who has an axe to grind. Ah, I'm pleased that you viewed the matter in that light, I said, much relieved. I feel confident that I have gained the true name of the victim. But how did you manage it, Mr. Royal? he asked, much interested. I, however, refused to satisfy his curiosity. You certainly seem to know more about the affair than we do, he remarked with a smile. "'Well, was I not a friend of the man who is now a fugitive?' I remarked. "'Ah, of course. And depend upon it, Mr. Royal, when this affair is cleared up, we shall find that your friend was a man of very curious character,' he said, pursing his lips. "'Inquiries have shown that many mysteries concerning him remain to be explained.' For a moment I did not speak. Then I asked, "'Is anything known concerning a woman friend of his named Petrie?' "'Petrie?' he echoed. "'No, not that I'm aware of, but it seemed that he was essentially what might be called a lady's man. I know that. He used to delight in entertaining his lady friends. But who is this woman, Petrie, whom you've mentioned?' he inquired with some curiosity. "'The woman who is ready to give you information for a consideration,' I replied. "'How do you know that?' "'Well, I am acquainted with her. I was with her last night,' was my quick response. Her intention is to condemn a perfectly innocent woman. Whom? he asked sharply. 
the woman who lost that greenhorn comb at the flat i held my breath no edwards i answered that question is unfair as a gentleman i cannot mention a lady's name if she chooses to do so that's another matter but if she does as from motives of jealousy she easily may do please do not take any action without first consulting me ere long i shall have a strange almost incredible story to put before you why not now he asked instantly interested because i have not yet substantiated all my facts was my reply cannot i assist you why keep me in the dark he protested i'm afraid you can render me no other assistance except to hesitate to accept the allegations of that woman petrie i replied well we shall wait until she approaches us again he said this i feel certain she will do i exclaimed but if you see her make no mention whatever of me you understand she believes me to be dead and therefore not likely to disprove her allegations dead he echoed really mr royle all this sounds most interesting it is i declared i believe i am now upon the verge of a very remarkable discovery that ere long we shall know the details of that crime in south kensington well if you do succeed in elucidating the mystery you will accomplish a marvellous feat said the great detective placing his hands together and looking at me across his table i confess that i'm completely baffled that friend of yours who called himself kemsley has disappeared as completely as though the ground had opened and swallowed him ah edwards london's a big place i laughed and your men are really not very astute why not because the man you want called at my rooms in albemarle street only a few days ago what he cried staring at me surprised yes i was unfortunately out but he left a message with my man that he would let me know his address later amazing impotence cried my friend he called in order to show his utter defiance of the police i should think no my belief is that he wished to tell me something i said anyhow he will either return or send his address i very much doubt it he's a very clever rogue but like all men of his elusiveness and cunning he never takes undue chances no mr royle depend upon it he'll never visit you again but i may be able to find him who knows the detective moved his papers aside and with a sigh admitted yes you may have luck to be sure then after some further conversation he looked at the piece of sticking plaster on my head and remarked i see you've had a knock how did you manage it i made an excuse that in bending before my own fireplace i had struck it on the corner of the mantel-shelf afterwards i suddenly said you recollect those facts you told me regarding the alleged death of the real kemsley in peru don't you of course well they've interested me deeply i'd so much like to know any further details edwards reflected a moment recalling the report well he said taking from one of the drawers in his table a voluminous official file of papers there really isn't very much more than what you already know the counsel's report is a very full one and contains a quantity of depositions taken on the spot mostly evidence of peruvians in which little credence can perhaps be placed of course he added the suspected man kane seems to have been a very bad lot he was at one time manager of a rubber plantation belonging to a portuguese company and some very queer stories were current regarding him what kind of stories i asked oh his outrageous cruelty to the natives when they did not collect sufficient rubber 
he used they said to burn the native villages and massacre the inhabitants without the slightest compunction he was known by the natives as the red englishman they were terrified by him his name it seems was herbert kane and so bad became his reputation that he was dismissed by the company after an inquiry by a commission sent from lisbon and drifted into argentina sinking lower and lower in the social scale then after referring to several closely written pages of foolscap each one bearing the blue embossed stamp of the british consulate in lima he went on inquiries showed that for a few months the man kane was in montevideo endeavouring to obtain a railway concession for a german group of financiers but his reputation became noised abroad and he found it better to leave that city afterwards he seems to have met sir digby and to have become his bosom friend and what were the exact circumstances of sir digby's death i asked anxiously ah they are veiled in mystery was the detective's response turning again to the official report and depositions of witnesses as i think i told you sir digby had met with an accident and injured his spine kane whose acquaintance he made brought him down to lima and a couple of months later under the doctor's advice removed him to a bungalow at Hocho. here they lived with a couple of peruvian men-servants named sinos and louise kane seemed devoted to his friend leading the life of a quiet studious refined man very different to his wild life on the rubber plantation one morning however on a servant entering sir digby's room he found him dead and an examination showed that he had been bitten in the arm by a poisonous snake there were signs of a struggle showing the poor fellow's agony before he died kane entering shortly afterwards was distracted with grief and telegraphed himself to the british consul at lima and according to custom in that country that same evening the unfortunate man was buried without any inquiry i asked yes at the time remember there was no suspicion a good many people die annually in peru of snake-bite edwards replied again referring to the file of papers before him it seems however that three days later the second peruvian servant a man known as sinos declared that during the night of the tragic affair he had heard his master suddenly yell with terror and cry out you blackguard cane you hell fiend take that thing away i god you why you've killed me yes i said but was this told to cane cane saw the man and strenuously denied his allegation he indeed went to the local commissary of police and lodged a complaint against the mancinos for falsely accusing him saying that he had done so out of spite because a few days before he had had occasion to reprimand him for inattention to his duties further cane brought up a man living five miles from hocho who swore that the accused man was at his bungalow on that night arriving at nine o'clock he drank so heavily that he could not get home so he remained there the night returning at eight o'clock next morning and the police officials believed him eh i asked yes but next day he left hocho expressing a determination to go to lima and make a statement to the consul there but he never arrived at the capital and he has never been seen since then a great suspicion rests upon him i remarked reflecting upon my startling adventure of the previous night certainly but the curious thing is that no attempt seems to have been made by the police authorities in lima to trace the man they allowed him to disappear and took no notice of the affair even when the british consul reported it i fancy police methods must be very lax ones there he added 
"'But what could have been the method of the assassin?' I asked. "'Why, simply to allow the snake to strike at the sleeping man, I presume,' said the detective. "'One would have thought that after the snake had bitten him he would have cried out for help, but he did not. Had the victim, I wondered, swallowed that same tasteless drug that I had swallowed and been paralyzed as I had been? And the motive of the crime, I asked. Edwards shrugged his shoulders and raised his brows. Robbery, I should say, was his reply. But strangely enough, there is no suggestion of theft in this report. Neither does there seem to be any woman in the case. You, of course, suspect that my friend Digby and the man Kane are one and the same person, I said. But is it feasible that if Kane were really responsible for the death of the real Sir Digby, would he have the bold audacity to return to London and actually pose as his victim? Yes, Mr. Royal, replied the detective, I think it most feasible. Great criminals have the most remarkable audacity. Some really astounding cases of most impudent impersonation have come under my own observation during my career in this office. Then you adhere to the theory which you formed at first. Most decidedly, he replied. And while it seems that you have a surprise to spring upon me very shortly, so have I one to spring upon you. One which I fear, Mr. Royal, he added very slowly, looking me gravely in the face, I fear may come as a great shock to you. I sat staring at him, unable to utter a syllable. He was alluding to Frida and to the damning evidence against her. How could he know? Ah, who had betrayed my love? End of chapter 22 Recording by Tom Weiss TomsAudiobooks.com